Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and we are going to be doing Classical Studies 101, The Odyssey. Today will be Chapter 8, and it has been fun thus far. It's a great epic, and we're going to explore some more of it. Uh, but first, if you would, uh, if you'd be so kind, on whatever platform you're using to listen to this, please give us a uh, lovely rating or some lovely comments that helps us get the word out and uh, reach more people. So, <clears throat> excuse me, without further ado, let us bring in, of course, our guide, as always, the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. So, Gary, when last we left it, we were in Chapter 7, and now we are at Chapter 8, and I know you're excited to do Chapter 8, so tell us, just give us a quick recap of Chapter 7, and then uh, introduce us to what's so special about Chapter 8. Well, Chapter 7 was uh, essentially about Odysseus arriving at the palace of King Alcinous at the uh, island of Phesia, and, uh, and preliminary welcoming, I guess you'd call it, of this uh, Bronze Age custom of, of what's called Xenia, where you uh, wine and dine a guest first, and then uh, only after all that do you ask who he is and what he's about and so on. Uh, and so chapter eight is a continuation of that. And uh, like I said, I keep using this uh, translation by Robert Fagels. Uh, and he has titles for the different what's called books or chapters. And well, what was it that you found so interesting about that chapter? So uh, there, you said that there were a couple of things that stood out. For well, you. I'll, I'll get to that. Um, mm -hmm. There's two major things. Okay. But anyhow, he entitles the chapter A Day for Songs and Contests. And uh, so let me just get into it. Um, okay. I just wanted to give the listener a little taste, a little... Um, uh, a little preview of what was going to happen in this. So uh, you did well, mention well, to me. Well, okay. okay, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, uh, Homer talks about Odysseus participating in these, what he calls games. And I think uh, this chapter is what inspired the Greeks to uh, originate the Olympic Games. Wow. Well, that's, that's amazing. Okay, looking forward to hearing about that. Which I think is huge. And the second thing, I believe it's the only mention of the Trojan horse by Homer. Wow. Okay. That's and, that's and, a certainly in the incredible. Odyssey. I mean, I mean that is as iconic an image in our culture, in Western culture, as one can get the Trojan horse. And uh, and you know we use the term Trojan horse to mean uh, you know uh, people who use something to get into something. You know. Um, and they, they still talk about that with computing, with viruses. <clears throat> yes, there you go. George Norris viruses, yeah. Yeah. 
Sonny, so, I'll get into the chapter, and this is how Homer uh, beautifully uh, <clears throat> introduces it. Uh-huh. And he says, when young Dawn, which is a goddess, with her rose-red fingers shone once more, royal and Kinoas, hallowed island king, rose from bed, and great Odysseus, raiders of cities, rose too, poised in all his majesty. Alcinous led the way to Fisha's meeting grounds, built for all beside the harbored ships. Both men sat down on polystone benches side by side as Athena, the goddess, you know, who's the patron goddess of uh, Odysseus throughout the Odyssey, started roaming up and down the town. Uh, and what she's doing is she's uh, encouraging men to, to come and, and see Odysseus. And, uh, and she says, come this way, you lords and captains of Fisha, come to the meeting grounds and learn about the stranger, a new arrival here at our wise king's palace now. So she's impersonating a, a person from the island. He's been, he's here roving from the ocean, driven far off course. He looks like a deathless god. So she's trying to inspire the, the men to come, you know. That's, I like that phrase, deathless god. Yeah. And then, uh, and then she makes Odysseus look, you know, very appealing to, uh, you know, the king and his, and his people. And, and, and so Homer says, over Odysseus' head and shoulders now, Athena lavished a marvelous splendor making him taller, more massive, so Fishians might regard the man with kindness, awe, and respect. And then Achinoas rose and addressed his island people, and he says, Hear me, lords and captains of Fisha, hear what the heart inside me has to say. The stranger here, our guest, I don't know who he is, or whether he comes from sunrise lands or from the western lands of evening, but he has come in his wanderings to my palace. He pleads for passage. He begs, we guarantee it. So now, as the years gone by, let us press on and grant him escort. No one, I tell you, no one who comes to my house will languish long here, heart sick from convoy home. Come, my people, and haul a black ship down to the bright sea. So he's telling him to uh, prepare a ship to take Odysseus home. And then he says, you know, uh, then we can give this stranger a hero's welcome in our palace. One that no one here can refuse. <laughs> Making him offer he can't refuse kind of a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wherever you heard that phrase, right? Yeah. And then he has his bard or, you know, a teller of tales who strums a liar. His name is Demodocus, uh, who is given, quote, the gift of song. And he tells him to sing, you know, and so on. Uh, and uh, so they go down and prepare the the ship to sail Odysseus home, and then uh, they make their way to uh, a, you know, what Homer says is Achinos's high-roofed halls. Their colonnades and courts and rooms were overflowing with crowds, a mounting host of people, young and old. And then the sacred number uh, twelve is mentioned, and he says. The king then slaughtered a dozen sheep to feed his guests, eight boars with shining tusks and a pair of shambling oxen. They skinned and dressed them and laid them out for a feast. So they're going to wine and dine them now, you know. 
And uh, so then the uh, bard, you know. Sorry, I had myself muted. I was saying, mm-hmm. And so the um, the bard starts singing with his lyre and so on. And it says, the muse inspired the bard to sing the famous deeds of fighting heroes. The song whose fame had reached the skies those days. So the bard, not knowing who Odysseus is, starts singing about the strife between Odysseus and Achilles. How about that? Mm-hmm. Because they heard about it on the island, you know? And their savage war of words, as Homer uh, expresses it. Yeah. And, and uh, also uh, talking about Agamemnon and so on. Uh, and says, that was... That was a song the famous harper sang, but Odysseus, clutching his flaring sea-blue cape in both powerful hands, drew it over his head and buried his handsome face, ashamed that his host might see him shedding tears. So in other words, he's having an emotional episode over hearing about what happened at Troy. And it adds emotion to this chapter, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then... uh, uh, Alkenowus then says, Hear me, my lords and captains of Phisha. By now we've had our fill of food well, well shared, and the lyre too, our loyal friend at banquets. Now out we go again and test ourselves in contests, games of every kind, so our guests can tell his friends when he reaches home how far we exceed the world in boxing, wrestling, jumping, and speed of foot. So now he's having his young men go out and compete in these uh, contests. So prior to this, Gary, uh, was this not common? Was it common to go to a town and have a king have these kinds of athletic contests? Because you're saying you think the Greeks developed the idea from this scene. So it, was you know, it not common to have I, athletic I, contests? I, uh, I don't know. But at least Homer mentions that uh, King Alcinous did it. And, uh, and because of the... Uh, five different uh, contests that occur, I think it inspired the Olympic Games. I, I can't prove that, but that's what I think. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to find out whether little towns had their own little mini Olympics prior to that and, you know, just became this bigger thing, which to this day we celebrate. And I, what I found interesting, too, is some of the Olympic records, if I'm not mistaken, some of the listeners can check in, but, uh, you know, I, I love, uh, love sports, I love the Olympics. Uh, some of the Olympic records are still held from the ancient times. Yeah, they still honor the ancient Olympic records in the modern games. I think that's interesting. So anyway, so we're at the games now. So we're at the games, and then Homer says, "And now the games began. The first event, a foot race. They towed the line and broke flat out from the start with a, a fast pack flying down the field in a whirl of dust." And Clytonius. The prince outstripped them all by far, flashing ahead. The length two miles, two mules will uh, plow a furrow or whatever, you know, he talks about. Next came wrestling, grueling sport. They grappled, locked, and uh, pinning the strongest champions. Broadsea is his name, won the bouts. Next was the jumping. Seekert leapt and beat the field. I guess his name was Seekert. And then the discus and a guy by the name of Rohard up and out hurled them all. These names are kind of 
interesting. Row hard, you know, like on a ship or secret, you know, whatever. Broad and sea. those names are, are the, from your knowledge of it, those are the direct translations of those names? Yeah, those that's direct those? translations. Okay. So it's okay. it's interesting that they're referring to places and events, you know. Uh, and then uh, came to boxing. It says, the king's good son, Lodimus, boxed them all to their knees. Then when all enjoyed the games to their heart's content, Alkinoa's son of Lodimus spurred them on. Come, my friends, let's ask our guests. So there's five events. And so what he does, he, he says, let's look at our guest. If he knows the ropes of any sport. He's no mean man with a build such as that. Look at his thighs, his legs, what a pair of arms, his massive neck, his big rippling strength. Nor is he past his prime. So in other words, he's impressed by the look of Odysseus, you know, which Athena helped. Okay. But yeah, I was about to say Athena gave him that extra, you know, look of power. Yes. Right. And then um uh, and then, he, and then he says, uh, come on, stranger, won't you try your hand at our contest now? If you have skill in any, in any, it's fit and proper for you to know your sports. And then uh, this is a very famous line here. Uh, what greater glory attends a man while he's still alive than that which he wins by his racing feet and, strike, and striving hands? Uh, now, there's another translation of that that I'd like <clears throat> great uh, better, which was in a National Geographic book, and it says, uh, there, is, uh, there is no greater glory for a man than that which he can achieve by his hand and foot. That's, yeah, I, both. Uh, yeah, I like the line, and I like the sentiment of the line. Hand and foot seems a little open, a little general for me, but... I like the idea of it, you know, because I think sports, I've argued this with people in the past, sports are so important to the development of a person, not because of aggrandizement, but because you learn how to work with other people. You learn how to push push yourself against your limitations and challenge yourself. Especially team sports. Yeah, you and you, we're on the same page. I am a big proponent of team sports. Team sports are really helpful for people and for society, and we need to understand that a little bit better. But anyway, that's my soapbox for the day. Yes, and so this so. this whole part of the chapter just uh, celebrates sports. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then <clears throat> Homer says, um, uh, so he challenges uh, Odysseus to do it, and, and he does. And Homer says, up he sprang, cloak and all, and seized the discus. Huge and heavy, more weighty by far than those officials used to hurl, test each other. Whirling around, he let loose with a great hand, and the stone whirled on, and down the ground it went. Those lords of long oars and master mariners uh, cringing under the rock's onrush, and it flying away past all the other marks, and Queen Athena, you know, staked the spot and cried with a voice of triumph. Even a blind man friend could find your mark by groping around. It's not mixed up in the crowd. It's far in front. And uh, and it says, at that, the heart of the long-suffering hero laughed. And so he goes on to compete, you know, in boxing, wrestling, and racing, and mm-hmm. so on, and, uh, mm-hmm. and succeeds in all of them, you know? Yeah. 
which must be great a great feeling after all he's been through. Yeah. You know, kind of be able to let loose, relax, play, have fun, and be, you know, a champion at it. Yes. Um, and uh, and then he talks about uh, that he's good with a bow and arrow. He says, well, I know how to handle a fine polished bow, the first to hit my man in a mass of enemies. Even with roads of comrades pressing near me, taking aim with our shafts to hit our targets. Philoctetes alone outshot me there at Troy, you know. <clears throat> so he's bragging about his ability as an archer. And then he uh, brags a little more and he says, as for spears, I can fling a spear as far as the next man wings an arrow. <laughs> he's claiming he can throw it that far. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with uh, Odysseus, you know, his he's he's boastful. He's very, he's kind of, you know, certainly has an ego. Yes, I mean, he does. That, and that, that ego starts off his misery, in a sense, in the Odyssey. You know, the boastfulness of having done it all himself and offended Poseidon, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, he does. He doesn't, I mean, over the course of that time of all his suffering, he still maintains that ego, which is interesting. It's part of his personality, you know. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's, you would think if this were a contemporary film, he would learn a little more humility, which I sure, I'm sure he has. But uh, you really just see more of the boastful uh, the aspect of him in this. So anyway, it's, I think it's kind of funny, but all right. No, I, I agree. And as we we're talking about when we did that movie review of that uh, Hallmark series on the Odyssey, that yes. wasn't really conveyed in uh, in the film very well. Yeah, he just—I mean—in the very beginning, he's just sort of like he lethargically shouts it out. But again, I don't blame the actor. I think Armand Asante is an amazing actor. I think the direction, everybody was completely lethargic and understated. So it's just somehow the energy of the film—you don't get that sense of. Uh, the 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 magnitude of Odysseus's personality, where it's just I am, you know, sort of like kind of like the Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali, where I and I yeah. love Muhammad Ali, one of one of my favorite. Uh, uh, well, he, boxers he was great, and, and he didn't mind time. saying he was the greatest. Okay, yeah, and, and and he was very playful. As you know, I met Ali when I was a little boy, and he was a very sweet man. I actually met uh, him one time. Yeah, I, well, I sort of said I met him when I was a little boy. And he he wrote out. Hour with him. Yeah. He wrote an autograph for my daughter, you know, which I thought was really nice of him. Yeah, no, he was very. I was, I was just a kid, and he just spent an hour playing with me, which I thought was amazing, and I'll never forget it as long as I wow. live. But it's been an anyways, hour with you? wow, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll show you the picture. But uh, anyway, so yeah, you don't get that kind of colorfulness out of in in the series that we watch, but you do pick it up here. So he, uh, then just uh, just finishes and says. Uh, Homer says, he finished, all stood silent, hushed. Only Alkinoas found a way to answer. And he says, stranger, friend, nothing you say among us seems ungracious. You simply want to display the gifts you were born with. Stung with that youngster marched up to you in the games, mocking, ridiculing your prowess, um, as no one uh, would, who had some sense of fit and proper speech. But come now, hear me out, so we can tell our story to other lords, and so on. And then he tells his people, so come all you fish and masters of the dance. Now dance away. So now he's going to have a, a dancing thing for Odysseus. A dancing episode. So is it people? Is it dancers or just people dancing, like a crowd 
getting together and say, "Hey, everybody, look no, at he, music." No, he's asking dance. the crowd to dance. And okay, yeah, which which actually sounds more fun, frankly. Yeah, because he says, involved. "All you fishins, you know, mm-hmm. now dance away," you know. And uh, and he talks about uh, his stewards' rows, uh, nine and all, another sacred number nine. Skilled da- dancers who stamp the ground with marvelous pulsing steps, so on. So it's party time. Yeah. And then the bard starts singing this song, and it's about a love affair between Ares, the god of war, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love. You know, as they're dancing, <laughs> if you can imagine. With her flying, flashing feet, as Odysseus says, and his heart aglow with wonder, you know? It, it was the big hit of, uh, you know, 1250 B.C. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So now the, the bard struck up an irresistible song, the love of Ares and Aphrodite crowned with flowers, how the two first made love on Hephaestus' mansion. Now, he was she was married to Hephaestus, so she's creating adultery. All in secret, Ares had showered her with gifts and showered Hephaestus' marriage bed with shame. How about that? But the messenger, yep. mm-hmm. meaning meaning uh, Hermes, the one that Romans call Mercury, uh, ran to tell the god of fire, Helios, the lord of the sun, who spied the couple lost in each other's arms and matching love. Hephaestus, hearing the heart-wounding story, hustled towards her, his forge and uh, brooding for revenge. So he creates um, uh, a snare, and, uh, you know, it's like a net, okay? And uh, and the net's, like, invisible to the eye because he's, he's supernatural, and he makes it, as Homer says, gossamer fine as spider webs, so no man could see, not even a blissful god. And so uh, the smith, meaning uh, Hephaestus, forged a masterwork of guile. And once he had spun the cunning trap around, uh, he waits until Aphrodite and uh, Ares are at it again. And then she says, come, my darling, come, let's go to bed. Let's lose ourselves in love. Uh, No, this is Ares speaking, sorry. He says, quick, my darling, come, let's go to bed. Let's lose ourselves in love. Your husband's away, okay? But he wasn't away. And so he throws the uh, net over him and uh, traps him on the bed. And then he has all the gods walk by. And so, so he humiliates them as he's felt humiliated. Yeah, as the gods came crowding up to his bronze floor house, Poseidon, the god earthquake came, Hermes came. The archer god Apollo comes and so on. The immortals, give her all good things, stood at the gates, and uncontrollable laughter burst from the happy gods. So he's embarrassing Aphrodite and Ares. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, that's an interesting episode in the chapter, you know? it's Yeah, it's also an interesting bit of revenge and a way to have revenge and the, the fact that the gods are laughing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, I've always thought that was a, an interesting, an interesting story, the way it plays out and what it says about kind of the human-like quality of these gods. That's especially noticeable with the Greeks, right? Their, their gods are just as deceitful and treacherous as any regular mortal. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then Ken was asking his people to dance again, so he's really into dancing, you know. So, uh, and uh, uh, and then he tells him after that, he says, "Hear me, my lords and captains of Fisha. Our guest is a man of real taste. I'd say, come, let's give him the parting gifts that guests deserve." So they had guest gifts, which is part. And he has, get this, the sacred number 12 again, the 12 peers of the realm. They're like rulers of his realm, and there's 12 of them. And he has them participate. He says, gather all the gifts together, hurry to our guests, so we can have them all in hand when he goes to dine. And and the gifts include a solid bronze uh, sword with a hilt with silver studs and a sheath of ivory around it. And, uh, you know, gifts like that, you know, glittering gifts, they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they, they um, and I will give him the gorgeous golden cup of mine. So a golden cup is what he he gives him. So that he'll remember how Keno was in all his days to come when he pours libations out to Father Zeus and the other gods on high, you know. So, you know, he's getting gifts and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So party, games, gifts. Yeah. And then after that, uh, okay, he's telling them uh, to uh, take a bath, climb into a waiting tub and bathe, you know. Again, as we've talked about, this has got to be just, a, a miracle for for Odysseus, right? Because it feels like he's had such long suffering, and now he gets to have it all gets to be released with you know this sort of feast and these gifts and blessings and all the things that he he would probably have been longing for as he was lost at sea and all of that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then it says, and now when maids had washed him, so they're washing him. He's in the nude, you know. So the maids are washing him. Yeah. Okay. There's the other thing he gets. And uh, then, although uh, he's a married man, he shouldn't be in there, right? But there you go. Yeah. And then they rub him down with oil, olive oil. And they put a warm fleece and the shirt around his shoulders. He steps from the bath to join the nobles at their wine. And there stood Nausicaa. Nausicaa is the daughter of the king that found him on the beach, if you remember, you know. And she's, right, when the maid, maidens were at play, Odysseus washes up, he hears them, and then she finds him. And he, he's seeing her in, in all her beauty, gazing at Odysseus, wonderstruck. And then she says, farewell, my friend, and when you are at home in your own land, remember me at times. Mainly to me, you owe the gift of life. So in other words, she feels like she rescued him and saved him, you know. And then um, and Odysseus rose gently and, and says, Nausicaa, the daughter of generous King Alkinoos, may Zeus the thunderer, Hera's husband, granted so that I travel home and see the dawn of my return. Even at home, I will pray you as the deathless goddess all my days to come. You saved my life, dear girl. And then he goes and takes his seat beside the, the king and so on. There's that great phrase, deathless goddess. Yeah. And then the bard starts uh, singing again. Um, and uh, and and says, "But come now, shift your ground." I think meaning the song, "Sing of the wooden horse, 
that Epius built with Athena's help, the cunning trap that good Odysseus brought one day to the heights of Troy, filled it with fighting men who laid the city west uh, waste. Sing that for me, true to life as it deserves, and I will tell the world at once how freely the muse gave you the God's own gift of song. And it says, stirred now by the muse, the bard launched out, and so on. But famed Odysseus, uh, you know, uh, reacts to this, you know, and he's, he's, he's very moved by it, you know. And uh, he sings of the monstrous wooden horse and so on. And sang how Odysseus marched right up to uh, the house of the god of war and so on. And uh, with diehard Menelaus, you know, at Troy and stuff like that. And says, that was the song the famous harper sang, and but great Odysseus melted into tears. So the whole thing is um, very moving for Odysseus. And then it's the very full end circle. of the chapter. Right. Uh, the the uh, Alkinoa says, but come now, my friend, tell us your own story and tell it truly. Where has your rovings forced you? What lands of men have you seen? What sturdy towns? What men themselves? who were wild, savage, lawless, who were friendly to strangers, God-fearing men, tell me. Why do you weep and grieve so sorely when you hear the fate of the Argives and hear of the fall of Troy? Uh, and he says, and all to make a song for those to come. And that's the chapter ends. Yeah, it's a really, it's beautiful. It's a very full circle situation where he suffers, finally is free finally has this place where he can rest and be uh and be and be at a feast and be at games and at play and then he hears his own story told to him so it's a very full circle so that's a beautiful chapter and yeah I, it would be interesting for uh you or some other scholar to look into whether that is uh, the birthplace of the olympic games the idea for it whether i, I think it, it may well like be because every greek read the Iliad Odyssey, and then that this chapter with those five contests, uh, which I think were the earliest contests in the Olympic Games, if I remember right, uh, I, I think was inspired by this. I can't prove it, but I think it was. All right. Well, on that note, everyone, let's thank, as always, our great guy, Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. I'm great. You have a feast in your honor as well. I am Sean Marlinukum, and this is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. We've been doing Classical Studies 101, The Odyssey, Chapter 8. Thank you all for listening, and God bless.